Hi, Dad. Hi, Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high-control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? <laughs> well, maybe in my head. The thing is, though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine, And I'm Stephen. And uh, today we've got uh, a very special guest. We've got Sapphire Phoenix. Uh, Sapphire Phoenix is a singer, songwriter and producer. His latest song is called Heartbeat and we wanted to feature it on our spot where we showcase the music of an ex-member of a cult or high control group. But we thought it would be really nice to talk to him. So uh, Sapphire Phoenix, welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. Hey, how's it going, you guys? Good to see you. <laughs> How are you? Awesome. Great. Awesome. Well, Great. Even better for having you on the show. It's good to have you, uh, you with us. So um, Sapphire Phoenix is your name. Um, and you're an ex-Jehovah's Witness, is that correct? Yes, uh-huh, correct. Yeah, I, I left when I was 24 going on 25, so it's been just a couple of years for me. Mm-hmm. Right, okay. Um, so um, knowing a little bit about your story would be really interesting, I think, to our listeners, um, and then we'll get on to your music and what you're doing with your, your musical career, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, so were you born as a, as a Jehovah's Witness, did you say? Yeah, so both of my parents uh, were Jehovah's Witnesses, and I'm yep. the third generation. So um, yeah. my my mom's side is usually predominantly more of uh, the family I've interacted here, um, because I was born and raised in California, moved around to a lot of different cities. Um, but yeah, since birth, that, that was pretty much all I knew was just you know Jehovah's Witnesses going to the Kingdom Halls, going out of field service. Um, so I was a good little Jehovah Witness boy, you know, <laughs> you know, making sure you, you did your comments and. Uh, pursuing like you know the full-time service and ministerial servant work and all that um, so yeah, I had a very typical uh, Jehovah Witness upbringing mm-hmm. cool so what what was that like so uh, I suppose school you had to uh, do all the sitting outside or did you have homeschooling what how did you uh, what was school like for you? <laughs> uh, yeah actually I did a little bit of both um, okay. just until like the last few years of uh, my high school um, I was in public school, but yeah, you know, you have to deal with the constant uh, mm. questions, you know, kids ask you, oh, why don't you celebrate birthdays mm. or why don't you dress up for Halloween and, mm. um, you know, things like that. And uh, it would always have to be a conversation, but, you know, my, my parents uh, trained me well, um, mm. you know, how to ex- explain and express my beliefs. And for me growing up, I thought I was doing a good thing, you know, not saluting mm. the flag and not celebrating the holidays. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, anytime I, I had a a student come up to me with the question I always had like a little track or two on me so um, yeah to the book I I was very much uh, about proclaiming and you know spreading the word so to speak but um, yeah just as I started to you know grow up you know there were other things I also liked to do in school and um, my parents allowed me to the best of their ability to like you know participate in uh, school Mm -hmm. choir and uh, you know drama school talent shows and things like that Um, yeah but of course 
being raised a Jehovah's Witness, there's only so far you can go with that. Yeah, and, uh, it gets to a point where you know that's considered worldly. You don't want to get too involved in the world, and um, you know that's going to distract you from time being at the meetings and going in field service. So, uh, you know, school is a bit interesting, yeah, to say the least. <laughs> was that sort of a bit like tricky as a young person trying to navigate that? sort of like weighing scales of what you're meant to be putting your time into and where you want to put it into. Mm -hmm, exactly. Yeah. So it, it was a bit of a, a struggle for me because, yeah, of course, you know, you, you don't want to feel ostracized. You don't want to feel like the weird kid in, in, mm -hmm. in school. Um, but that that's, you know, kind of the things you have to deal with. Right. So it mm -hmm. was how it was. I'm pretty impressed that you had a leaflet with you at all times to um, to to witness to to your school friends. That's, that's yeah. very impressive. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I got in trouble a couple of times from from teachers, you know, really? who kind of saw me like trying to pass magazines or something like, "Hey, keep that out outside of the classroom." <laughs> yeah, so I, I was like I said, I was a good little yeah. Jehovah Witness boy, mm. and you know, my parents are really proud. They you know, a couple of times had to pick me up from school just because I wouldn't participate or, yeah. uh, you know, the teachers were just frustrated. We can't get him to, you know, salute the flag or he can't do this, this or mm -hmm. that. So, yeah. um, my, my family was, was very supportive of, you know, how I was supposed to, you know, take, you know, carry myself, you know, when I'm around other people. And, mm. um, they definitely do impose that a lot. You know, it's mm. not just a matter of when you're in the kingdom hall or when you're in field service, but even just as you're going about your day to day life, yeah. Uh, being a Jehovah Witness is a 24-7 thing. It doesn't stop. Um, you're always being told, look for opportunities to talk to people, to, to preach. And you always remember you're giving a witness. That's that's what yeah, they used to right. say. You know, um, we have to represent, you know, not just the organization, but of course, you know, Jehovah. And, mm. you know, think about that. And it was a lot of pressure on me, especially as a, as a young kid. You know, that, That's interesting. That was the word I was just going to ask you about. Because I, I remember that. And I remember feeling... Uh, yeah, a lot of pressure um, and also quite a lot of guilt as well if I missed what I thought was an opportunity to give a witness. You know, somebody said something, um, you know, maybe maybe a, a relative of di had died or, um, you know, somebody had said something and I thought, uh, you know, I should have I should have done a witness there because there was an mm. opportunity there. And, and uh, what if that's the only opportunity they get, you know, to mm. hear the truth. And uh, wow. so I, I was a bit anxious about all that sort of stuff all the time. Um, I don't know about mm. whether you kind of felt it so much, but it is interesting though. Like you say, it, it always, it, there's always a pressure of you. You have the answers to really help and change people's lives. That's right. and if you miss that opportunity, um, you know, there is a lot of pressure of, you know, you have blood guilt on your hands and, why didn't you take the opportunity? You know, don't you think that you could have helped that person? Yeah. Um, again, it, it's constantly something that has to weigh on your mind from the morning, you know, the moment mm. you wake up to, to when you go to sleep. And mm. um, there, there's never really a time where you just get a moment to yourself. You're yeah. always having to put other people before yeah. yourself. Yeah. yeah, it's that performative aspect of it as well. I mean, I'm interested that you've used that term blood guilt because that's one of the words that I've that stuck in my memory mm -hmm. and you know it's it's a little bit of a triggering <laughs> word but you know yeah. phrase. Um, but yeah so there's two ways for me I was worried about blood guilt one was not witnessing and the other one was of course if I was naughty at school or behave badly mm -hmm. then that could yeah. be a negative witness and might actually make somebody think well you know I wouldn't want to be a Jehovah's Witness because look at Stephen mm -hmm. you know how naughty he is oh yeah um, yeah and especially amongst, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses, it's a, it's a lot of culture of keeping tabs on other people. You know, people ask, yeah. oh, have you seen this person at the meetings? I haven't seen them. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, are they getting their hours? Like, it's, it's a constant mm -hmm. feeling of 
you know, the people around you, you have to also be mindful of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's like a weird um, balancing act I was thinking about in the sense that a lot of, I know, like, um, cult or high control groups will try and keep you really, really busy and, like, all consumed yes. with it to keep you in, right? But then burnout, it must be so high, um, like, likelihood-wise, do you know what I mean? Because oh, you're yeah. so... Because burnout is, like, isn't... It's when you're putting in more than you feel like you're getting or you're not getting, you know, enough Absolutely. out of something, right? So it's like it's both their tool and potentially their demise because you're you, uh-huh. yeah you're all consumed by it but um oh, yeah. uh, in the end are you getting enough out of it in order for that to be worth all of the you know the mental turmoil for sure and i think that's kind of the allure of you know exactly how people get trapped in to begin with it's always the pretty hopes and the things we look forward to in paradise and you know, depending on whatever it is you've gone through in life, if you've lost someone in death or, mm-hmm. um, you know, you just are older, but you want to be young again. There's there's so many different ways that, um, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses go about trying to entice you to, you know, work, work, work. And like you say, stay mm-hmm. busy and you don't have a moment to really think, you know, yeah. you're, you're just overwhelmed with the, the schedule of going to two, three meetings a week, going in field service on the weekends if you're not pursuing mm-hmm. anything full time, you know, as far as service and getting the hours and especially for me as someone who's a brother uh, a young person in the congregation you know having to do ministerial servant uh you know duties and mm-hmm. handling microphones and doing the sound mm-hmm. system and uh looking at literature and uh taking the groups out in field service it was a day-to-day mm-hmm. just like you said all-consuming uh you know moment in, in my life and yeah you don't really have time for yourself or to really think about you know what is it that you're doing with your with your time Mm-hmm. um so yeah it's it's an easy tactic you know just keep busy they, mm. they won't think <laughs> yeah so and i think for, for born-ins um you don't know anything different do you you know you've, you've had no yeah. other experience so you don't really expect anything else out of life it's that's that's the way life is you know yeah there's no point of reference for what is no, you know totally. standard or what is normal you know mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. So I guess just trying to get into your head for a little moment uh, while, while you were at school. Um, so you were doing all these things that were, you know, the right things as far as you, you were led to believe. Um, did you believe it? So was was like um, this God, Jehovah, was that real to you and the paradise? And um, so obviously this, this is quite a long range of years, I suppose, during this time but would you say you really believed all the doctrines and all these beliefs oh yeah um i 100 percent believed and you know ever since i was a very very young child i was always considered very uh, zealous as they would say um i was always trying to put myself out there to take the initiative to mm-hmm. uh, really just be helpful and useful wherever i could so that was something the elders the the leaders in the congregation definitely took took an eye to um, so they, they definitely took me in and under their wings and groomed me, you know, to uh, start participating more with helping them out. Mm. Um, like I said, doing things behind literature counters, helping out with the sound systems and microphones. I was doing parts on stage, uh, public talks, you know, just as I continue to get older. Mm. I was doing full time uh, pioneering as well, you know, going to school. It, it just was a lot on, wow. on my plate. But mm. um, yeah, it just I, I did the, the normal duties of what I was told and what I thought was you know, correct. Um, I didn't have any, like you said, any other point of reference. So I just thought as long as I'm being helpful and this is what I'm supposed to do, um, it's, it's helping me out in the long run, right? Cause we're all yeah. doing this for the purpose of trying to 
not just please our, our family and our friends in the congregation, but you ultimately think that I'm doing this in service to my God, to, mm. you know, Jehovah. And as long as I'm doing what I'm told, I'll hopefully have that grand reward of paradise mm. at the end of this. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I definitely believed in it up, up until like maybe the last couple of years of, of my life, you know, with the cult and, um, you know, we'll, we'll definitely talk more about how I left and, and all that as well, too. But, yeah, for yeah. the great majority of my life, I full heartedly um, believed all the beliefs and, you know, did the best I could. Yeah. So how did that change then? So it sounds like the vast majority of your life you were all in. Um, you were an exemplary witness. Um, something obviously changed. What happened? Um, I actually was disfellowshipped when I was 22. Um, so my family, like I said, I had always been born and raised here in California, um, but my family had moved to Arizona, which is just the next uh, couple states over. Um, but I was 21 at the time and I was like, you know what, you know, I'm kind of getting to that point where I'm, I'm older now. I, you know, I was trying to, you know, find work and I just, I didn't want to, you know, remove myself from all of my family and all my friends that I had, you know, kind of known. And I just said, you know what, let me just look for. Um, a, a job and I'll, I'll ruin it with a couple of my friends in the congregation and it shouldn't be a problem. Right. Um, but like I said, you know, I eventually, you know, quote unquote, had sexual immorality and, you know, things take place. And I was disfellowshipped uh, not too long after that, maybe a couple months later. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it was a two year process where I was actually vigorously trying to come back into the, the organization I had written uh, many what's called reinstatement letters. Yeah. So essentially you write a letter to the elders and you let them know everything that you've done, what you feel sorry for, why mm-hmm. you need to come back. And you just right. pour your heart out into this letter in hopes that they, they have mercy on you and um, you, you have contact again with, with your family and friends, because mm-hmm. that's one of the, the big hurdles um, for a lot of people when they're just fellowship. The, the thing that brings them back is I no longer have Uh, communication or or even a relationship with my family and my friends and I want that back and I think for me that's something that I kind of noticed right away it wasn't necessarily about I feel like I need to bring my relationship with Jehovah back into harmony or something it was more so I just miss my family I I miss my friends and I just want that back and a sense of normalcy in my life and um, they really do uh, harp on on those social contacts and and those bonds that you build with people to you know dangle i I call it like emotional blackmail essentially Mm. you know because no one you know wants to be separated from their their family and their friends but um those are the consequences when you break the rules in in the cult they they cast you out um so during that two-year process um i started to do a little research you know like i know i have to write these letters because i'm told i have to write these letters but where did that come from Okay. And so I started to, you know, look in uh, what, what's called the Watchtower Library. It's a uh, basically it's it's a whole software program that has just all the publications that Job's Witnesses have ever put out hmm. um, onto just one, you know, platform. So in researching, I didn't find anything in the Bible about <laughs> reinstatement letters, and I was like, that's interesting. Like, hmm. okay. And so just as I kind of went down the rabbit hole, I was like, ooh, we're, we're you know, starting to see that this may not be what it is to begin with. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had a lot of discussions with my family at that time, and they kind of saw a shift in me where I was no longer trying to come back, but I was actually trying to leave. Um, Mm -hmm. And for my family, that was devastating because they really were looking forward to 
um, you know, seeing me again and, you know, having a relationship. But mm. I just felt that the sacrifice I needed to make for myself, if if that's what I have to lose to gain my freedom, mm. I think that's that's worth something to fight for. Um, mm. So I couldn't in good conscience, knowing the real truth now, of you know, everything that I knew, I, I couldn't go back. Um, so the only way that I, I had to now start game planning, how do I leave? You know, so I started going on to um, XJW Reddit forums and I started researching more YouTube videos of all the child molestation cases that were going on and um, just so many different topics. And it just became overwhelming. Um, so at that time, I, I had to really you know have a heart to heart with myself and say, is this really what I want or is this just something that my family has up, you know, brought me up to think that this is what I need in my life? Um, so that was really the first time that I really got a chance to take a moment and, and step back and really start to think, you know, what is it that I want to do with my life? I've, I've always had other passions and dreams that I've wanted to pursue. If this isn't real, then what could my life, you know, potentially be? I, I just started to really think a little bit more openly than I was before. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. So disfellowshipping for, for those of our listeners who perhaps not familiar with it could you just uh, um expand upon what disfellowshipping actually means and what it what it kind of meant for you yeah so um you know for for most other religious groups they may call it different things you know catholics is excommunication um you know in other places is shunning um for uh, i think scientologists it's uh, having a subversive mindset or um uh, something like that but disfellowshipping as well yeah yeah, suppressive, you know, you're a suppressive person. Mm. Um, but within Jehovah's Witnesses, this fellowshipping is the formal declaration to the congregation of you no longer having ties to the organization, the congregation, yeah. the religion. Um, it's a form of disciplinary action made by a judicial committee, uh, usually consisting of two or three elders who are leaders in the congregation who um, sit down with you, kind of go through all your, your sins and uh, the horrible things that you've done, that you've broken the laws of the congregation. So they now have to decide, um, are you a good fit to stay in the congregation or are you now considered a toxic member who is a bad association? So um, one of the consequences, the major ones that people will obviously see right away, and it's it's immediate, um, is you no longer have uh, open communication with your family and your friends the way that you used to. Yeah. Um, so even on a social level, um, you can't, you know, go out to have dinner with them. You can't go to movies. You know, you just uh, any sort of social interaction with them is completely taken away mm. um, until the elders actually decide that you can have those privileges back um, to actually, you know, <laughs> interact with your own family. You know, that it's as crazy as it sounds. Yeah. Um, you know, hence for some the people, letters that you write, which are essentially, mm-hmm. um, I suppose, letters appealing to the elders to allow you to have a relationship again with your family. Yes. You have to actually put in a formal request mm. in handwriting, you know, to the, the body of elders, the judicial committee that is looking at your case. And uh, yeah, you're basically pleading for your life. Um, mm. You're, you're having to, you know, put your heart out into in, these, uh, the hands of these men who literally have your life in, you know, in control mm. Um, and it is a very trapped feeling. You you definitely feel that your life is not your own. Um, you're at the mercy of the decision of these older men who, you know, can or can't say that you can speak to your family or your friends. And you start to, you know, get into a very bad mindset over, over mm-hmm. time. You get very depressed and um, it's it's a lot of isolation. Um, 
you, you feel dirty, you feel like you've done something wrong and you feel very shamed, uh, you know, shameful about, you know, just the little things that you may have done. But I, I think it's the worst kind of torture a, a person can go through, honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it affects people differently. And quite honestly, there were moments where I was even having suicidal thoughts, Really, um, you know, and it, it gets to that point, you know, like this, this cult literally almost took my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's definitely something I, I don't wish on my worst enemy, um, but I'm, I'm happy that I was a survivor. I was able to get out of that situation, and it didn't take control over me. Um, but, but yeah, that's usually about the standard for the disfellowshipping process, reinstatements, and you know trying to come back. It's, it's a whole thing. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and it's worth saying that, um, that disfellowshipping is, is uh, the thing that, that triggers this judicial committee um, can be, you know, having sex um, mm-hmm. with somebody that you're not married to. It can be smoking. It can be, um, you know, getting drunk in front of other people. Um, a lot of these things, uh, you know, most people consider to be pretty normal activities <laughs> for a, you know, mm-hmm. young man. Um, yeah. If not necessarily always advisable, you know, um, but. Um, in the case of smoking, perhaps, but it's, it doesn't seem like a particularly serious thing to take your family away from you. And also, mm-hmm. the elders who are in this judicial committee—they're um, not—they're not. When we call them elders, they might be in their thirties, maybe in their late twenties, some of them, and mm-hmm. they don't necessarily have a lot of experience. You know, you may have window cleaners there, builders, <laughs> you know, all sorts of people who have, don't really have any training in this sort of thing mm-hmm. they don't it's not about psychological well-being though is no. it it's um but it has a lot of detrimental effects because yeah it's people that shouldn't be in charge of people's lives being in charge of people's lives <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. it, it's really amazing to to think i was just having this discussion with a really close friend of mine um his name is wesley uh, david um he's actually another xjw musician mm-hmm. as well and uh, okay. we were just having a, a good chat um, deep conversation and that was one of the things we were talking about I was telling him I think it's it's important to remember that authority is really just an illusion mm. um, it's it's a power it, it's it's something that's kind of uh, put upon you that's just a known fact you know people will all come into agreement to say you have this authority you have this power um, you know but at the end of the day we're all the same we're mm. I'm, I'm not greater than you and I'm not less than you we're, we're just here experiencing our lives, you know, just trying to make it through. But um, yeah, there's definitely a ego trip. I, I feel that a lot of people get when they're in those positions to feel I have something over you. Mm. Your life is literally in the palm of my hands and I can make or break you. Absolutely. Um, so definitely I felt that there was a lot of that going on as well, too, where I had a very personal ties with uh, some of the elders who were on my judicial committee that right. um, I felt now saw, oh, this is a perfect opportunity to you know, kind of like lash it out and, you know, take out all my frustration. And um, yeah, it was, it was a hard time for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously that was, it's always a really hard time at that stage as well. But um, if you wanted to talk a little bit about, um, you know, some of the positives of leaving and getting to like start going on the other side. And Mm -hmm. um, do you want to talk about, you know, some of the things that you got to enjoy post, (laughs) Um, you know, (laughs) Um, for sure. And it's quite interesting too, um, because the day that I did finally like leave, you know, mm-hmm. my, my family and all that behind, 
Um, it was actually 4th of July here in, oh. in the U.S., which is our Independence Day. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I literally just had like three boxes to my name and just the clothes on my back. Mm -hmm. And friends picked me up and took me in. And, you know, I just I'm sitting there in, in the living room watching fireworks go off. But <laughs> it was a different kind of independence freedom of course you know like i mm -hmm. i finally felt wow now i'm i'm free i made it out mm -hmm. it was a sigh of relief it was a, a, mm -hmm. a it was just a moment of, of clarity for me that now this is really the start of my new life i felt almost like reborn so to speak you know mm -hmm. like everything that i had gone through up until that point brought me here and now i can actually you know uh, start really just living my life and doing the things that i want um, so yeah, one of the very first things that I did was I started to work on music. Um, since I was very, very young, uh, that was something I always wanted to do. But of course, um, pursuing anything in the music industry or uh, trying to become a singer or, you know, get involved with quote unquote worldly producers and things of that nature, um, it was always shunned. And anytime mm -hmm. I, I made mention of it to my family or friends, um, yeah, they would scoff and say, you know, that's quite a worldly pursuit there, you know, why don't you actually make better use of your time by, mm -hmm. you know, pursuing the full-time work, going to mm -hmm. Bethel headquarters in New York and, you know, all of these expectations of what other people wanted for me, but no one was listening to what I wanted. Yeah. Um, you know, so that was one of the things I was happy. I was finally able to, you know what, I, I know there's some talent, there's some creativity in me that I haven't really been able to flesh out, you know, let me see what I can do. Um, so that was kind of the beginning journey of how I started to just buy studio equipment, just make a little home uh, set up for myself, learn courses on how to produce and how to mix and um, how to work a microphone and, and set that up. And just I started to really just take matters into my own hand. And I didn't wait for someone uh, to give me permission, you know, for those things. So, um, yeah, that was a great shift for me. <laughs> One of the first things. Yeah. I was able to do. yeah. So how did that feel? Oh, uh, I, I was ecstatic. I was just super happy because, I mean, music in general is just, I, I have such a passion for it. Um, so it didn't even feel like work. I just would spend hours and hours and hours just on my laptop making, you know, different notes and different harmonies and chords and um, writing. I just was, I had tons and tons and tons of different song ideas and things I just wanted to do. Like my brain was just unloading, um, you know, all this creativity that had been kind of like hindered for so many years. And now it just was exploding and I, I just wanted to just share and make as much music as I possibly could. So um, that's how I started to kind of write, of course, you know, about like my recent experiences with, of leaving the cult. And um, that's kind of what started to develop like my, my artist name and, you know, the songs I wanted to write, the topics. And uh, Mirage was like the first song that I had, you know, written and I had put out. And yeah, it was definitely about like that religious freedom of, you know, what I thought I was seeing in my future was actually just an illusion. It wasn't real. Um, it was, it was a mirage, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I talked about that. I talked about, you know, the feelings of, you know, when you're first starting to actually go out and, and date and, you know, love and things like that. It also can feel a bit confusing at times because I had never dated before. Mm -hmm. I had never uh, been in a relationship with someone because those are things you, you can't pursue to a much older you know, in the Jehovah Witnesses, uh, you know, cult. So, yeah, everything was just brand new for me. I was just taking in everything as, you know, just the first experience for the first time. It was it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Um, it's one of the areas that we, we want to talk. Um, got some plans to, to talk about love after 
um, mm. you know, leaving Jehovah's <laughs> Witnesses. And it'd be interesting actually to talk to somebody from the other side, you know, who falls in love with an ex-Jehovah's Witness. But um, mm. I guess from, from your <laughs> perspective, what's that like as you... Because obviously as a Jehovah's Witness, you know, you, you can't have casual dating relationships you if you're mm. if you're coupling up to go it's out to the you know you, you're doing it with a view to marriage aren't you you know um, so how did that yeah. feel how different was that it it was very foreign and i i felt very <laughs> out of place quite honestly when i was first starting to date because i felt like i was now kind of playing catch-up mm. um you know so many other people have already had so many experiences with dating and, and with sex and they knew what they wanted but i didn't quite know yet so I had to really just kind of put myself out there and you know try and meet different people and you know see what it was but um it was a big learning process for me because the way that you're taught about dating and and sex and marriage and all that in the Jehovah Witness cult like you said it's extremely serious and um you have to see this as an eternal uh you know bond (laughs) with this person you're pursuing and um it's a lot of pressure on you to really make sure this is the person I want to spend the rest of my life with but um, there is a, a lot more of a casual approach to, you know, just interacting with people and just dating. And if it doesn't work out, that's cool. You know, we can still be friends or, mm-hmm. you know, just move on. And, um, you know, even things like sex, you know, like it, it was a completely night and day experience for me. And I started to realize that all the things I had learned were actually extremely exasperated, of course. But, um, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses always portray people as ex- extremely promiscuous and, yes. you know, you're, you're going to catch, you know, an STD and you know, all these things. And um, but it, it's really not like that, you know, mm-hmm. and everyone around you is extremely normal <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and chill. But, um, you know, I had to kind of like declutter all that programming and brainwashing I was told mm-hmm. about um, dating and, and, and sex and relationships and just kind of figure things out, you know, for myself and. Um, yeah, it was it was a learning experience, and I, I don't have any regrets. And um, I'm happy now that finally I get to you know kind of make those standards for myself of mm. morality, so to speak. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Brilliant, cool. Um, so uh, let's go back to your music then. So um, you you start to experiment with with uh, music. You're you've you've bought some equipment, and you're you're writing stuff, and you're using your experience coming out of the JWs as a, as a source of inspiration, it sounds like, um, yes. <laughs> you know, to help make sense of all of it through your music, which I think mm-hmm. in itself is very interesting how, you know, you're using your creative process to help make sense of that experience. That's, that's fascinating yeah. stuff. Um, so can you tell us a bit more about what, what you've been doing in that area and um, how that's been helping you? Yeah, um, I, I honestly thought it was extremely therapeutic for me. Um, to really just kind of let out a lot of those emotions and those feelings into songwriting. Um, And I I had always, you know, known for so long that I just wanted to pursue music. So it wasn't really a a question of me of doubt. Um, It was just more so gaining the technical skill to actually make music. Um, Because it's just one thing to write a song and it's poetry at that point, but to actually now have to use uh, computer software programs and you're actually buying and using equipment, that was all very new for me. Um, so there was a bit of a learning curve on that aspect, but um, I'm, a, I'm a quick learner, <laughs> so I, I, I picked up on it pretty quickly. And um, from that moment on, um, it was just really easy. I just started to really start experimenting with um, different sounds and different genres and uh, artwork and, and stuff like that. So I had a whole plan for what I wanted things to look and sound like. 
Um, and I was quite pleasantly surprised with, you know, how well, you know, some of the songs did come out, even though I'm still working. I'm not a professional very yeah. <laughs> uh, early in, you know, my, my career and, you mm. know, my skill set as well. Um, but for what I was able to do, I was really proud for just, you know, getting that out there just to say, okay, it's, it's therapeutic. It's, it's out into the world. You know, I can let that go and just kind of move on. And, um, that kind of tells you the story as I was releasing the songs, it was really about the stage of, you know, first coming to this religious kind of liberation and then dance in the flames came out, then Sapphire Phoenix and then heartbeat. It's all telling the story, Mm -hmm. uh, leading up to just where I'm at currently in my mindset today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I I got to hear about you through there's a there's a JW Facebook group called Life After Jehovah's Witnesses. I think it's that one. Yes. Uh uh-huh, with Shane. <laughs> that's it. Shane mm-hmm. um Metchin, is it? Um yeah, he's in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And um so I I stumbled across that and he was doing like a a kind of a sort of festival really an online festival where he got all different mm-hmm. people together who were performers and um yeah. so i i just sort of said to him well this sounds great you know if there's anybody that would like to talk to us then you know let us know because we we want to start featuring people who are creative yeah. and doing stuff so that's kind of how i heard about you and then so uh i, I heard a, a couple of your your songs and there's one that I think it's probably your latest one called Heartbeat that um, mm-hmm. that I heard. I thought I really liked it. I really liked the sound. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> maybe we'll, we'll listen to a little clip of that now um, and then we'll, we'll talk to you a bit about that track uh, in sure. a moment. Yeah, so tell us a bit about the track and um, why you, uh, what, what the creative process was in that and, uh, you know, a bit of your influences, I suppose. Yeah, so I wrote Heartbeat um, as a love letter to, to music in general, because like I said before, um, I've always had such a great passion for music, but obviously, you know, during that period of my life where I was in the process of leaving the cult, um, I was very isolated. I was extremely depressed. I had a lot of, you know, suicidal thoughts towards the end. 
Um, but the one thing that kind of kept me sane, that kept me whole, that kept me grounded, it was music. And that that little spark of, of that passion for, for music is what really kept me going. Um, so it was a great comfort for me, you know, to, to hear the, the words impact me a little bit more differently. Now, when I used to listen to music, it was just for, oh, this sounds cool and I like the beat, but I really delve, you know, deep into the, the meaning and the power that music has to really uh, bring people out of just the most traumatic and, and hard times of, of their lives. And um, I had a new respect and a love and appreciation for music than I did before when I was younger. Um, so Heartbeat was really about that moment where I was feeling very dead inside and I didn't feel like there was much point in going on, but it was the beat of the music. It was the, the heartbeat that kind of brought me back out of that coma, uh, so to speak. Um, so that's even how like the beginning of the song, you kind of hear the heart monitor <laughs> in the background mm -hmm. and um, it's like it kind of shocked me back to life and that, <laughs> you know, kind of carries the rest of the song and um, I just you know, talk about there was a time I felt like I was alone in, in the void of space. I used space as like the theming and um, I thought it was a good uh, kind of concept for me to kind of explore, you know, what would that be like? And um, I think it came out pretty well, like, you know, how the, the sound and the, the quality of it, just as I'm starting to get better with every release. And um, I just think that for other people who, who listen to that song, no matter what it is that you're going through, um, I think especially like you, you brought out, even with the, the podcast that you guys were able to make during COVID, um, I think it was a lot of time for people to really have a moment of self-reflection. Mm. And I think in that period of time, you know, when we're still going through it right now as we speak, mm. but yeah. uh, specifically in like the past year or two, a lot of people have been going through very, very hard times and uh, dealing with a lot of death uh, in, in the world and their families and close people and uh, our economies are kind of going through it. You know, people are, you know, frustrated about work and, and money. Just how are they mm -hmm. going to take care of themselves? Mm -hmm. um, but the one thing that I found interesting that survived and that kind of blossomed a bit more uh, was music. Uh, how people consumed it and how people were really trying to uh, still bring people together through the power of virtual concerts and, and things like that. So mm -hmm. I thought it was a very beautiful tie-in just in the moment and just when I, you know, tried to release the song and I think it just all kind of worked out together. But yeah, I, I absolutely love that song. I think it's probably <laughs> my favorite right now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's not. What, what sort of style? How would you describe your influences musically with, uh, with, with your stuff? What, what, what are you, what are you drawing from, um, sort of creatively? Yeah. So growing up, my my mom and my dad were very eclectic with their their taste. My mom was very much into like the R and B pop kind of vibes of. Uh, Mariah Carey, uh, Whitney Houston, Anita Baker. Uh, my dad was uh, more into like the bands of, you know, like uh, 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 Cool cool in the Gang. Uh, he was into Wham. He was into Duran uh, Duran, um, you know. And then my grandmother was more into like the disco kind of sounds of like oh, the wow. Bee Gees and, and ABBA. <laughs> so I kind of got this whole spectrum of different yeah. sounds growing up. And I, I just loved hearing different styles. And so... Um, you know, depending on each song and how I put it out, I wanted there to be a bit of a different flavor, different sound, uh, different structure to how I made it. So I've experimented with uh, like Mirage is like this Middle Eastern kind of vibe. Dance mm -hmm. in the Flames is like this little disco sound. Uh, Sapphire Phoenix has a more rock kind of synth kind of vibe. And then Heartbeat is like this R&B kind of uh, mm -hmm. trap vibe as well, too. So I'm extremely experimental. I, I have no qualms about that. I love mm. music for all the different sounds and, and 
things it can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm just, that's just how I am, you know, in general. Like I, I just love to really try to push myself mm-hmm. and uh, not get too much in a, a comfort zone and mm-hmm. uh, really it, trying to see what, what, what's different that I can do than what I did previously. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's where a lot of my inspiration kind of pulls from. Yeah. I think when you've spent a lot of time with a lot of rules, it's, um, fun to make sure your creative outlet is not, is not full of rules. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I don't try to put limits on myself and just kind of see where the song, what the message sounds like, and Mm -hmm. just kind of let the music take it from there. It's, it's its Mm -hmm. own living thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Awesome. That's interesting. I, I'm also interesting what you said about COVID. I think that's that's so true. Um, during the the lockdowns, particularly, um, mm-hmm. what did what did people do? Actually, people <laughs> consumed art, didn't they? They they read mm-hmm. books, they watched Netflix, they watched movies, and they listened to music. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And and yeah, as we're coming out of COVID, you know, straight away, then people are saying, mm-hmm. well, you know, let's not make waste our money on on art let's uh, let's spend our money on you know mm. industry and so on and yet it's really mm-hmm. been art that's kept us alive over the last couple mm-hmm. of years i think yeah for sure mm-hmm. and i think it's it's been a positive outlet for a lot of us and i think you mm-hmm. can definitely see how uh people took that opportunity to really let out all that you know uh emotional uh you know turmoil that we've all been going through and um in a weird kind of way i think a lot of great art is usually created when people are going through hard times yeah. as, as mm-hmm. bad as that is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we kind of do relish in, in those moments to kind of draw us inspiration and then we can just make beautiful art, you know, mm-hmm. out of some of the worst experiences that, that we go through. Um, so I, I definitely can, you know, say how even just my experiences leaving the cult definitely has impacted, you know, mm-hmm. my, my music making process for sure. Yeah. yeah, I think it gives you empathy, doesn't it, as well, to other people's suffering and difficulties because you're you're able to, obviously, everybody's experience is different, but it just allows mm. you to have that empathy, I think. Mm. For sure, yeah. Um, I definitely had a greater appreciation for, you know, just major artists and, you know, people who also were impacted by COVID, you know, because mm. so many people connected even through live concerts and you know, those are mm. things we no longer could, you know, have the luxury yeah. of, but it made us definitely more appreciative of having those experiences. So I, mm. I look forward to, you know, the day we can all get back mm. to you know, live music again. Mm. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. And I was just thinking as well, like, I don't know if maybe because we were all at home and felt less sort of um, viewed or like less seen, people felt a bit more like uh, willing to try things. So like we batted around the idea of doing a podcast for a long time but not and maybe it's like you know the fact that Mm. well what is there to lose you know we're just all stuck at home and like why not try some stuff um yeah it's not all about beautiful yeah yeah because i mean like you said too especially during covid it it allowed us time to really like sit down and kind of think of our you know our thoughts and what our our lives were kind of going through because even just Mm. being in the world um, you know, just our day to day lives can be so busy and so hectic. Mm-hmm. We sometimes don't really get to think, you know, what is it that I actually want to really pursue? What are the mm-hmm. things I've always uh, been thinking I could do, but I just never had the time or the focus or the energy. And then the world kind of just paused and it shut <laughs> yes. down. So you had nothing but time and, mm-hmm. you know, energy and, you know, your resources now to, you know, kind of pursue the things that you want to do. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like even just now being on this podcast, I'm I'm happy to be a part of it, and thank you for having me. And um, yeah, it's it's great that you guys were able to to make this out of what mm-hmm. would be considered a very bad time, 
you know, mm-hmm. some good can come out of it. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Um, so what, what's your plans with your music then? So tell us about your your kind of hopes and uh, what, what you want to do. What's your next steps? And um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, what, what are your plans? Well, I'm, I'm still currently working on music. It's been a little while since I put out Heartbeat. Um, that came out last year in May. Um, but I do plan on putting out new music this year. Um, yeah. I am working on another EP album project mm-hmm. on the side, uh, but that's still early, early stages. So mm-hmm. um, there's just one more song that I want to put out uh, to kind of complete the the story arc of uh, Sapphire Phoenix, that that arc okay. mm-hmm. um, that I have there. But definitely for sure, my, my long-term uh, goals for music down the road is I definitely want to get to a point um, where my platform can do a lot of good for a lot of people. Um, I think especially for for me, you know, I I love the fact that children and young people have such a connection to music. Um, they keep the industry alive, so to speak, and they're constantly coming out with, you know, fresh new ideas. But hmm. even more so, um, if I get to a point where, you know, I have the resources and the means to, I definitely want to start a foundation to help um, young cult survivors, you know, kids who are thrown onto the streets because their families no longer uh, we'll have them under their roof, you know, so mm. um, there's a lot of struggles and things I want to really help and, and do. So if I get to that point and, you know, when that time comes, I, I just want to give, give, give. I have a, a lot of love and a lot of experience. I think I can help out, you know, with mm-hmm. a lot of people. Uh, but yeah, of course, you know, you want people all around, you know, the country, the world to, to hear your music. And mm. um, yeah, I, I just, I really think that the more that we kind of inject that that love and uh, that positive energy into the music and that, you know, gets consumed by the world, um, it will have a real life impact, you know, in people's lives to, you know, hopefully do some good as well. Absolutely. So where, where can people get hold of your music? How can they hear you? Um, they can stream me on Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, um, pretty much any major streaming platform if you use it. Uh, it's mm-hmm. there. I have uh, lyric videos. All my music is on YouTube as well. Um, you can go to my Instagram uh, at mm-hmm. official Sapphire Phoenix. Um, all the information will be there. You can click the link in the bio. Has access to like all the <laughs> videos and links for the music awesome. you can find. Yeah, great. Well, we'll um, it, obviously after the show, if you send us any of those links and things you want us to put on the show notes, uh, yeah, they'll be sure. there for our listeners to uh, to access uh, as soon as they hear um, this podcast. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Nice one. Great. Well, I've I've really enjoyed um, talking to you today. Is there anything um, that that you think we've missed, uh, Celine, that we wanted to ask uh, Sapphire about? No, I think I think we we've, we've gotten. You said some really positive stuff at the end. I always really like, interesting. Yeah, isn't it? always. It's always, mm. always like we always like finishing on yeah the positive stuff because we want to be a positive show where people know, you know, it's good on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't I don't wish to like you know bring anyone down with my experience. Oh, no. Of course, we we can't mm-hmm. change our stories and we can't mm-hmm. change our past, but we definitely have control with mm-hmm. you know how we can navigate our future. And so, um, you know, the last thing I would really tell people is that you know if if you're in an environment, um, not necessarily maybe even a high control group, but just maybe one that you feel um, really hinders you uh, mm-hmm. from you know doing what you want to do and pursuing your life. Um, I always just say it's it's worth the risk to, to fight and to try. Um, and you would be surprised what you're capable of when you stop listening to people that tell you what your your, your abilities are. Um, I think we really do sometimes get fed so much information about the things that we can and can't do. 
Um, but people can do hard things. People can do a lot of uh, great good. And um, I think if you just push yourself to, to go there and, and take the risk, it'll all work out in the end and it'll be worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you for, for having me. Okay. Thank you for, you know, all your questions and uh, sharing my music and, you know, just getting a chance to talk to you guys has been has been great. Well, that's, Thank that's you. fine. It's great. It's great to have you on. I mean, that's such a positive message mm-hmm. that you're leaving us with. So uh, we're going to play out with uh, with one of your tracks, um, and really, it's up to you which one you want us to play. So, uh, <laughs> what would you like us to uh, to play out to? Uh, maybe something a little more fun, like "Dance in the Flames." Mm-hmm. I think is a good one. We could play yeah. that one. <laughs> okay, then Sapphire Phoenix, "Dance to the Flames." Uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Stephen, and thank you so much, Serena. I appreciate it. When I'm around you, I just can't think straight. The night is young and the heat is rising. This fire's burning inside, I can't tame it. Living my life, I'm done apologizing. I see the way you look at me, there's no need to pretend. Oh, I feel the tension building up, don't want this night to end. Think About is an Evil Sheep production.